0: Radio191 FM podcast. On the line right now, I'm joined by director Sally Williams. Good morning to you, Sally.
1: Good morning, Jamie.
0: How are we today?
1: Pretty good, can't complain.
0: Well, that's good, good. I, I could complain, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: A chilly morning, is it?
0: Yeah, just a little, just a little bit. Um, Lost and found. Uh, Stevenson, Lost and Found, is your latest film. It's on at the Dock Edge Festival, uh, which kicks off today. Uh, first off, um, who was James Stevenson? Uh,
1: James Stevenson, besides being a dear friend of mine for for seventeen years, mm. um, he was one of the most prolific New Yorker cartoonists in history. Um, he'd probably been in the top three of all time in terms of the contributions he made to the magazine mm-hmm. and it being a, a global publication now um, it, it, you know, it has a pretty significant place in American culture and, and I guess now global culture
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, I fell in love with James straight away. I must say, that opening scene, um, you know, it kind of made my heart jump a little bit. I laughed out loud straight away at him. uh, You know, and my my eyes got a little bit moist. Um, um, You know, and I knew it was going to be a treat of a film from those first 10 seconds. I mean, it was a great opening. And who knew that peanut butter kept you so young?
1: you know, secretly I think we all do, don't we? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> well, for me, maybe it's Marmite. But um, no, uh, James was, or Jim as I called him, he was one of those guys you, you always wanted to listen right to the end of the sentence because usually the zinger would come <laughs> right at the end. Yeah. And, um, he, he definitely knew how to deliver zingers. Yeah. Um, now...
0: N- n- <sighs> I don't know how to say this exactly. Well, there is other ways of saying it, but I'm going to say it this way. Um, Not many things come from horse poo other than (laughs) mushrooms. Um, But this film did, in a way, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it really did. It's one of those, I don't know, I think it's one of those kind of classic Kiwi overseas experience um, stories, really. You know, we all throw throw the pieces in the air and go overseas and see what, what happens. And for me, um, it involved leaving a very respectable career at the what was then the New Zealand Dairy Board, now Fonterra, mm-hmm. um, left the country, as I was desperate to do at that age, right out of university, mm-hmm. and um, went and literally shoveled horse poo. Um, <laughs> and this was around the time September 11th happened. And, um, yeah, and Jim Stevenson, this wily cartoonist, walked into my horse stable and kind of the rest of history. It took 17 years p- before we started making the story of his life. But um, yeah, it was a great privilege to, to know him for that long.
0: That's amazing. So I mean, for the majority of the seven you were just his friend.
1: Yeah, yeah for, and for probably 10 of those years, I really didn't have any grasp on how good he really was. I, it's kind of like he drank the tall poppy Syndrome Kool Aid, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: yep.
1: and uh, he was very humble, and I really didn't know um, the impact that he had on the magazine. He was very, you know, every year um, when I was living in the states, he would send me a hand-drawn, personally drawn birthday card, and um, they were always perfect and they were always hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just never, I never quite understood um, the gravity of his awesomeness, and so it was a real gift kind of when I started to unravel that and then the more I got into the film, um, I guess the more amazed I was at um, the depths of, of his work and just how much he pumped out in his lifetime.
0: Um, like you mentioned the New Yorker before um being a global um magazine now and it mm-hmm. certainly is but we still don't quite understand what it is here in Aotearoa. Um you know we, we through the years you would have seen it in classic New York films uh mm-hmm. and the like uh, and it seemed very Fifth Avenue. Um and the cartoons were really you know um I guess the centre stage of those, well it seemed like it was for me anyway from from looking online and and mm-hmm. um, watching films um, the cartoons are really important, they're a big deal in that magazine aren't
1: they? Yeah I mean sort of the running joke is that everybody who has a subscription to the New Yorker actually just skips through the cartoons and then stacks it on their coffee table just to look good and, and look like they're <laughs> intelligent <laughs> um and obviously there's phenomenal journalism in there. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Farrow, who broke kind of the Weinstein story, that was all done in the New Yorker. Mm. Um, there was, a, you know, there's been epic reporting in, in its history. It started in 1925. Um, at the outset, they said, we, we will not be a magazine edited for the old lady in Dubuque, which is a small town in, in Iowa, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, so it did have a kind of hoity-toity, air about it, but essentially what it was aiming to do was, was provide very high-brow and well-researched journalism, and to this day they continue to do that. Um, but the cartoonists bring a lightness to the magazine, that I think a lot of people contribute the cartoonist to the longevity of the magazine so you know and I guess five years from now they will have been going for a hundred years so wow. that's something
0: and and the cartoons and especially um, Jim's can I call him Jim I feel like I have to
1: call him Jim yeah I
0: feel, him. I feel like I have to um, <laughs> you know they, they took aim um, a lot of the time at the people that that read them that were supposed to read the magazine yeah that,
1: that's right I mean there's great irony in that of course and in fact Jim in a way, you know, he was very um, very much part of that scene, very much part of the Yale, Harvard, um, East Coast kind of set of folks that are very unlike um, a lot of the rest of of America. And So, um, yeah, he, he was very good at kind of attacking from the inside and I think I say attacking, but really what it was was a bit of a nudge and a wink, and and that's what I loved about his work, that it was funny without being entirely derogatory, Mm -hmm. and I think that takes such an amount of of skill, and I think he really mastered the art of that.
0: He was really subtle with his digs.
1: Yeah, and not always, you know, the guy I heard from his children, uh, that he was, pretty good at um, quite literally pushing people into the pool at parties if he didn't really agree with what they were <laughs> saying <laughs> and he had a mean backhand on the tennis court apparently uh, and was very unhappy if it didn't go his way so you know <laughs> there were layers
0: <laughs> um, His career started by accident kind of you know his mum got him a job in the mail room mm-hmm. um, you know, and, he, and he wasn't a drawer um, in fact his, his wife was the artist um, but you know I guess um, along the way he there was a need and and he had to learn how to make money uh, first with his jokes and then withdrawing uh, and he really pushed himself but I guess you need to do that when there's 11 mouths to feed
1: <laughs> that's right I mean anyone today who comes to me and starts whining about being a contractor and um, and they you know have a couple of kids and whatever and it's difficult to get up in the morning I think oh yeah you know have a dose of Jim Stevenson. He had nine kids, 11, you know, uh, in the family total, and he was working on a contract of salary, Mm. and um, got up at four o'clock every morning, just so he could get in a few hours before the, the team uh, woke up and caused chaos. So, yeah, he he was he was certainly an inspiration to me. Um, yeah, <laughs> got me off my butt. Yeah,
0: his kids are wonderful in the film, and, and you get a sense um, in terms of fatherhood. He wasn't always present present, but they kind of understood, and he was really you know he was really loved by them.
1: Yeah, that was a really interesting aspect for me. Um, I hadn't really know, didn't really know his kids um, before that before I started making the film, and I felt that. It was such a love letter that they gave him as we went through, and as I interviewed all of them. Um, and you know, their childhood wasn't easy. There was a lot of pain there, um, both uh, from from kind of Jim being absent in so many ways, but also what he was able able to give them was hugely impactful in their lives. Um, and yeah. I, I I just think it was a great a great thing that they did for him, and I don't I really don't think it was easy. Um, you know, we all carry a lot in our families, and there was there was definitely a lot for us to deal with as we were making the film. And I was very mindful um, that I was. Walking into something
0: quite delicate. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously, you've said, you know, you you knew James for quite a long time, or Jim, uh, before um, making the film. So, how was it to go from that kind of friendship thing to um, James being the subject? you know um did you have to kind of step back a little bit into your role as a director and direct him um how did it all kind of work out because you you know he's yeah like he's gone from a friend to a subject but he's still your friend you know it must be quite difficult
1: yeah well you know what was the most difficult i couldn't get the guy to just do a clean exit you know it was <laughs> every time I said, so Jim, so when after you've said whatever you're going to say, just walk out the door and shut it, just shut it yeah. and every, he'd get to the door every time and he'd turn around and he'd say do you have everything you need? Are you alright? <laughs> 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 and so yeah, I think the familiarity did cause a few problems in terms of the clean exit, um, yeah. but, but in terms of everything else, I think that he opened up to me in a way that even his, I think his kids were quite surprised, um so it did it did offer the story of his life something that I think maybe another filmmaker might not have been able to reach so mm-hmm. in that way I, I think it's a very um, yeah it was a very privileged position that I was working from um, he was very
0: prolific you've mentioned the amount of you know the amount of cartoons he did for The New Yorker uh, but there's mm-hmm. not just the New Yorker he, he wrote and did cartoons for the New York Times uh, mm-hmm. and also um, children's books and the children's book I guess uh, um, you know, he was really prolific with that, and a lot of kids grew up with um, Jim Stevenson, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, he, he published over 100 children's books, and in a way, his publisher said to me that maybe the reason he is not more well-known as a children's book author is just because he was so good at it, and people just knew there would be another James Stevenson next year, and, you know, no biggie. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, there's a there's a series called The Worst Person in the World, mm, um, which yes. a lot of children over in the US grew up with and, and adore. Um, he he had this way about him. He could, I think, someone from the New Yorker said he's the only artist they ever knew who could walk outside the door and find a paycheck in a puddle. <laughs> and he literally <laughs> one time wrote an article about a puddle and sold it to the New Yorker magazine. Yeah. Um, so. He, he was adept, and and this is the same in his children's books. He could see a very ordinary scenario and turn it into something quite magical, and obviously, when you're doing that for children, um, you know, that's gold.
0: Um, the film, again, um, like, from the narrator, David uh, Farr, like, perfect mm-hmm. tones, Um, to fit the story it's amazing Um, it's just a perfect fit Uh, and then uh, the animation is wonderful as well Um, but that must have been quite an undertaking Um, I I did a little bit of film school and Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people really appreciate animation And Yeah, how much work in it. Is. So right,
1: Jamie. <laughs> um and look, you know, that animation was all done in New Zealand. I bought it home. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of the film was made in, in New York City. Um we had a um a composer over there called um I was gonna say Kevin Bacon, but it's his brother, Michael Bacon. So oh, wow every, everyone listening to this, you're only what, two degrees from <laughs> Kevin Bacon now? Um so Michael Bacon is the composer he did a phenomenal job over in New York um, the editing was done in New York but I actually bought the animation home and I worked with a company um, here in Wellington um, with actually some guys that worked on Thunderbirds and, um, oh, cool. and they you know they just came up with this very simple but rich um, imagery that mm-hmm. didn't clash with the rest of Jim's imagery because it's very complicated when you're dealing with someone who works with so, in so many mediums, you know, cartoon, yeah. oil painting covers, children's books it gets very um, tangled very quickly so those guys nailed it and, and yeah, I, I just so appreciate their work in this one
0: it's amazing, uh, and just finally, um, you know, make, making the film um, would have been difficult in points because of um, he was going through dementia at, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and of course he uh, sadly passed away. So, I mean, just mm-hmm. to finish, you know, I mean, did that spur you to finish it, I mean, you, or did that create a lot of difficulty when when finishing the film?
1: Um, when Jim passed away. I mean, it it was challenging. Um, His dementia progressed a lot quicker than we all anticipated, so in fact, a lot of the film was made up from very early um, stuff that we shot, um, and it it took a total of about five years to make, Mm -hmm. Um, and part of the reason was that when he passed away, um, I actually stepped back a little bit to give the family some some time, and, um, and then it did certainly it certainly impacted the finishing in some ways, um, but I, I was always driven to finish it. The downside was that he, he never got to see it, but I did feel like what he gave to the film, he was so generous in giving himself to the film, that as a result, you know, the final product that, that we have now is is a really, um, I think, interesting, deep portrait of, of a man um, who, who spent his life creating beautiful things and making us laugh, so um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate
0: it. Well, the film's a beautiful thing, and it made me laugh too. So um, <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful, Sally. So so well done. Um, it's a great film, and I'm glad you got to tell uh, his in- incredible life story. Um, you know, it might... If it wasn't for horse poo, it <laughs> might never have been told. So, um, <laughs>
1: it's, this is it's a this funny is world. right. So, it, for anyone who's at university and they think they, you know, should do lofty things with their degree, don't don't rule out the horse poo. That's right. right.
0: Exactly. Sometimes exactly. It pays off. <laughs> right. The film is part of the Doc Edge Festival, um which is all online this year, of course, uh, due to um, the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, even though we're level one now fantastic Mm -hmm. Um, but it begins today and this film is screening on the 19th of this month um, and you can watch that online go to festival.docedge.nz for all the details there Sally Williams thank you so much for joining us this morning
1: thanks Jamie
0: it's been an absolute pleasure as was the film Um, I'm so glad I've been able to watch it and um, hopefully um, well it's brilliant and hopefully for the next film we'll talk again Fantastic. <laughs> right. Have a great day. Okay.
1: Catch Cheers. Down.
0: Bye. S- director and producer Sally Williams there, Stevenson, Lost and Found, part of the Dock Edge Festival screening online on June the 19th. Um, and there is a Q&A screenings as well. Go and look for those on the Dock Edge Festival, nz.